You know, it's funny that vulnerability is a powerful thing. Uh, it seems like a paradox because the world tells us that to hide your fears, mask your weakness, cover what you don't know will bring gain and power and worth. But the reality is that the most influential people are those willing to humble themselves and express their struggles um, because it speaks to our common experience. The interview you're about to hear is with someone who is willing to admit their brokenness and express a deep-rooted hope that brings lasting change. Uh, two things that we would request. If you like what you hear, please share. Uh, we do know that tons of people are going uh, through similar circumstances um, and have that uh, common experience with the interviewee. Um, also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support and it will carry you to a link where you can become a patron. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello folks, this is your host Corey Pelton and this is Fish Food, providing morsels of hope to a hungry world. You're used to being strong and confident and able and, you know, one that others can rely on and depend on. Um, but now you're feeling weaker and unable and, and dependent. He said, and the good news for us is that Christ wants us to come to him weak and, and, and dependent and, and needy. Hey, Ed. How are you doing? Good. We welcome to the podcast today Reverend Ed Eubanks. He pastors Trinity Reformed Church in Rossville, Tennessee. Uh, He's an editor and writer, having written for Christianity Today, Christ and Pop Culture, Relevant Online, The Curator, and he's a regular contributor to By Faith magazine. Um, I stand five foot seven, and next to Ed, he overshadows me with his six foot four frame, and yet with his uh, scraggly facial hair and big smile, he um, gives big bear hugs and is a gentle, uh, gentle pastor to his congregation and for all those who know him. We welcome Ed Eubanks. All right, so you are, you're outside of Memphis. How far outside of Memphis are you? We're one county east, so I, I can get to, like, the greater metro area in 20 minutes. Okay. 45 minutes or so from downtown. Right, right. All right, so, if, if you could, uh, you know, describe the church that you pastor a little bit. It's a small church. It's uh, a hundred-year-old church, but they have made a long transition from being Southern Baptist to now being completely uh, and fully Reformed and Presbyterian. And uh, that all happened, well, for the most part, under my predecessor's uh, leadership. Uh, He was there for 13 years and and happened to actually be a good friend of mine as well. Um, When I was in the area ministering at another church for four years, uh, right out of seminary, then he and I became good friends. And uh, so I was kind of able to watch them through part of that transition. 
and uh, be aware of them and pray for them in that. Um, but uh, through some challenges and and uh, might even call them spiritual attacks. Uh, actually, I would I would definitely call them that. Then um, their leadership has been kind of picked off one by one uh, wow. over the years, the last five or six years. So that um, this time two years ago, when they were without a pastor and had one ruling elder left and uh, no deacons and um and the the pastor that was there before me still in the area and was kind of helping them find you know find a, a way forward pulpit supply wise trying to help them get connected with some guys who could who could preach for them and that sort of thing and he asked me if i would be interested in being a candidate and if i would be willing to preach for them some and so i started preaching for them um in the first part of 2017 and uh, preached probably five months for them over the course of the, of the first half of the year. Well, first two thirds of the year. Right. And, um, and then they called me as their pastor. So I, I didn't have to go through all of that hardcore, um, you know, trying to get people's names down or <laughs> right. find out the figure out the local history of the church or whatever because i had all of that right so a lot of the bustle of the first months of, of, a, of a new pastorate were kind of eased for me which made it a really soft landing for us after um af after a hard time in tucson but it's a small church they we, we probably have 30 to 35 in worship uh, maybe 45 or 50 members total um and um definitely a revitalization work they they're aware of the fact that they're definitely a revitalization work and and want that they they, they want to figure out how to be healthy and and how to you know, pursue renewal that way so that's that's encouraging that they want that um right and um just a, a small uh rural area mostly um it it's getting to be where they identify more with the metro area because it's where the grocery stores are and that kind of thing. But, um, but Fayette County, Tennessee is not a, has never been a, um, a place of great commerce or, or huge, uh, um, business, uh, locale or whatever. It's, it's always been mostly farm communities. Um, and Rossville was, uh, sort of the train depot, um, for the county uh, for a long time and so uh, i guess it had a little bit more, <laughs> as small rural counties go it had the most cosmopolitan feel to it but uh, um but that that's not saying a whole lot um and so there you know there's there's still very much some small town quality about it even though they associate themselves with the uh, the greater memphis area right. and um so yeah, that's a little bit about context sure sure now are you are you from the memphis area no i'm from columbia south carolina actually. oh that's um, right. yeah that's right and and uh my wife's from charlotte so mm -hmm. moving to west tennessee was different for us right and it's um it's the north northernmost part of the mississippi delta which um anybody that knows the mississippi delta will tell you they are a different kind of culture than the rest of the south mm. um and uh, a little bit more tribal in that sort of uh, you're not from around these parts kind of a way. So it takes a while to break in and to get 
accepted. And when you're a pastor, then there's a little bit of a pass given to you for that still. Right. But, um, but not, not, uh, not a full pass. It's like, a, it's kind of like a work visa rather than a, uh, rather than uh, just a stamp in your um, passport. Right. <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Right. Now you, you mentioned um, that you had a, you had a call previous to this one in Arizona and I think when 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 I attended your uh, class at our denomination's General Assembly uh, pastoral PTSD, was that coming out of that? It was, yeah. Okay. Um, I I um, backing up a little more. Right out of seminary, came to West Tennessee, but after four years, took a call to Tucson, Arizona. And um, was called to a small uh, young church out in Tucson. Um, the uh, the church there had been planted just two years or so before I got there, maybe three. Um, and uh, the guy that planted it, um, I, I should say they had particularized uh, two or three years before I got there. Um, the guy that planted it had burned out and left suddenly. And, um, and, and so I, I came into... That situation, with lots of hope and uh, and ambition about it, and um, and there were a, a whole lot of factors um, that led to the way that things went. But it, it just continued on a on a declining process that uh, that had started before I got there and did, didn't stem at all when I when I got there, and um, and so. Over the course of two years, then we eventually closed the church. Um, we first appealed to the presbytery about whether we might restart as like a, a replant. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of a last gasp effort to to see if we could salvage whatever was left there. And the presbytery took a close look and um, and sent out a few brothers to to talk with us and to hear from the remaining kind of what would be our our core group or our launch team. And, and, uh, they wisely said, we just don't think that this is the right group and the right time for this group. And, uh, when they said that, uh, it, it, it was hard, but it, it, it's, it's also set right with me. I mean, that I agreed right away with their assessment. Right. Um, and, uh, you did, didn't feel the need to push back at all. But so then we began the process of closing up the church and uh, and the the people that we had were very gracious to us, to our family. But uh, there's a lot of pain that came out of that and a lot of trauma that came through those um, those couple of years ministering to them. And um, and and it it uh, it really left me in a very challenging place. Mm, mm. Um the, uh, the you know I, I I've been in church ministry since the mid 90s so 20 something years of church ministry you face a lot of little traumatic moments um, and those can accumulate um, in a way that's not quite like when a, a sudden instance of trauma hits like a, a bombing or going to war or um, you know witnessing a crime or something like that but um, but the, now the, 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 the wise folks that are dealing with trauma and stuff are, are figuring out that, hey, th- this cumulative 
accruement of you know micro traumas mm. can still lead to what they're calling complex PTSD um, where you know if there's a threshold that you have for resilience right your resilience is your capacity to withstand trauma and to and to handle it pro- appropriately and to not let it have too much weight in terms of how it bears on you right um, if there's a threshold that you have then you can cross that threshold with a spike in a single event but if you look at it on like a grid uh, like an X and Y axis, you can also cross that threshold through the cumulative addition of, you know, over many years, sometimes lots of little traumas. Right. And uh, for me, I mean, the closing of the church was a pretty big traumatic event. I mean, that's, that's a, a close tie to a pastor's identity, right? It's sure. How, sure. How healthy his church is. And, and when it, when one closes and it feels like a death, but um, it, whether that is significant enough, to qualify for, you know, a single trauma, a traumatic event for PTSD, or whether it's the cumulative micro traumas over the year, it doesn't really matter in the end. I'm still dealing with basically the symptoms of PTSD. And I didn't really understand that until um, I was talking to my counselor uh, a couple of years later about how, so look, I, I don't want to take away from those folks that have been through real trauma Right. Or downplay what they're doing. Because we typically think of military PTSD, right? Exactly right. Right. Or somebody who's been raped. Right. Or, uh, you know, something, you know, something huge. Right. That is so uncommon to the the average experience. And he was the one that explained to me that idea of a threshold of resilience. And and he said, look, this is they're finding out more and more about this. And this is you're 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 feeling the symptoms of PTSD, not because have something similar to that but because you you have complex ptsd wow and so kind of having the permission to embrace that was a a huge step for me Mm. that was part of what i wanted to do with my seminar last year was just say to guys that were in ministry look you have permission to feel traumatized right right (laughs) ministry can be traumatic and you need to understand that and and recognize that there are times when you you're going to need to talk to a counselor about some of the things that you've been dealing with right what 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 Ed were some of the symptoms that uh, you have or are experiencing? Yeah, um, well, um, a lot of it came uh, came on kind of in conjunction with something else that was going on in my life, which is that I was diagnosed with a rheumatological condition that um, that uh, leads to inflammation and also. Um, a loss of range of motion in, mm. in, in my joints, especially in my core joints around my back and neck and shoulders and, and stuff. And so uh, I'm a, I'm a big person. I'm six foot four. I'm about 300 pounds. Um, I carry that weight. Not like, um, you know, not like, a you know, I'm, I'm not rotund necessarily. No, right. I'm a barrel chested kind of a guy. I'm, I'm big. And, um, and, and I've always kind of had this sense of identity of, uh, of being the big guy, right? Mm. Um, always feeling safe when I, I'm in even you know, kind of more questionable contexts and people with me feeling safe when they were with me. Or, and that, you know, the kind of guy that, you know, when, when, there's, when it's move day and Ed <laughs> shows up, then there's sort of this confidence that comes because, we, okay, we can get this done, right? <laughs> right, and, right. 
you know, that's awesome. Uh, we've got the big guy here now, right? That identity was one that I, I loved about myself and, and embraced because it lended confidence to people. Mm. And, um, and so, I, I mean, with this, with this disease that I have, it's not that I'm no longer tall and not, not that I'm no longer a big guy, but that a lot of the strength that kind of was associated with that identity mm. has begun to, has begun to be less so. I, I don't have uh, the capacity to lift as much as I used to because of my back problems. I don't, I, I can't um, move the way that I, I used to because of my range of motion issues. And so, um, so I, uh, that diagnosis and really more the manifestation of the symptoms was coming at the same time that we were in Tucson. Wow. And, um, and so for, for that to increase at the same time that, and, and, and really begin to undermine the sense of personal physical identity that I have at the same time that my church is closing, uh, and I'm dealing with the traumas of that. And so a professional and, and kind of sense of vocational uh, questions and challenges as well. It led for me to a real identity crisis. Wow. Um, uh, and kind of sent me spiraling into a depression that I didn't understand. And, um, and uh, I, I began to have sleep, sleep troubles, which sleep troubles are sometimes related to this disease that I have. And so it's hard to say whether the insomnia that I wrestle with still now um, is because of my rheumatological condition, or is it because of the, the trauma and the PTSD? It's, you know, those things are very difficult to parse out. Right. Um, and, and uh, it was, it was also challenging relationally for my wife and I, because, uh, because we didn't know how to be strong for each other when we were both feeling very weak. Mm. Um, she, she felt a lot of the same trauma. And, um, and so that fun, that would be the, what I would say is the, was the biggest uh, symptom from the PTSD and from all that was going on for me was this, just this sense of identity crisis of who am I and why am I still, what, what am I still to do now? I mean, am I still going back into pastoral ministry and, and will I even have the physical capacity for that? You know, as my back gets worse, can I still stand in the pulpit every Sunday? Right, um, right. You know, even if I did get a call, can I do the work that I'm called to do physically? Mm. Um, and then also, can I do it um, emotionally, right? Do I, uh, or will these things present such an obstacle for me um, that I won't, I won't be able to do it? Um, so... Wow. You know, I've, I, I've begun to recognize things like when I'm triggered by a circumstance that I wouldn't have seen coming. When I began to talk with the with the leadership at Trinity um, about being their pastor, then I was, I was going to have lunch with one of the guys that uh, that was on the search committee and also is uh, has been functioning kind of like an elder, although he's not yet an elder. Um and that morning I was feeling really anxious and I couldn't really understand why I, even in, even in depression, then I wasn't, I, I never really feel anxious. And so why, why was I feeling anxious that morning? And I started to try to take it apart and I realized, Oh, Hey, I'm having lunch with the, with the guy who's on the search committee and is basically the, the key leader of the church. And it happens that the guy that was on the search committee and the key elder in Tucson was also one of the guys that, um, 
that lied to me repeatedly through the course of my ministry there and would often tell me things that in, ended up not either not following through on or that just weren't true. Uh-huh. And, um, and that contributed a lot to the trauma of wrestling with leadership. And so, you know, I, I'm realizing, oh, this is a trigger. Mm. Um, I, this was just weeks after I had talked to my counselor about, about the PTSD. And, and I'm realizing this, this is, this is a triggering event. Right. Um, and, um, and I, I, it's right and understandable for me to feel this way. And yet it's also out of balance. Mm. Um, so, so I had to talk with the, that guy at lunch and say, look, here's what you're getting. If you call me as your pastor, I'm, I'm not the perfect guy uh, to do this. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a completely healthy pastor. Um, I'm not someone who has it all together. I'm you're, you know, the fact that I have to deal with this trigger really isn't your problem, but it will be your problem if, if I'm your pastor, because now it's, we're in this together. Right. Wow. And he understands that. And, um, and in fact, has since then counseled me and encouraged me a couple of times of, you know, when I've begun to panic a little bit and he'll say, you know what? It's okay. Gosh. Really? It's okay. And just comes alongside me as a brother and as a fellow leader in the church and just ministers to me. So, and, um, so basically you went into a job interview in your underwear rather than your blue power suit. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and we're met with grace and kindness. Exactly. Wow. Right. And that was one of the things that, you know, kind of led me to understand this will be a safe place to land. Um, you know, if, if that had not been received well, if he had kind of been like, huh, what are you talking about? Um, I, I would have known, you know what, this probably didn't work out because I need a place where the brothers will be alongside me that way, where the, the family of God will be accepting of me like a family is, is supposed to, right? Wow. I mean, it's, it's interesting because when you, when you were first telling me about going into uh, this position and going, okay, it's a, it's a, um, uh, it feels very uh, ground up, you know, they've been through hard times and now you're having to come in and reconstruct and, and work with this church. I was thinking, man, what would drive you to go into that? But that makes complete sense now hearing sure. them come alongside so graciously of you. That's, that's wonderful. Well, that's true. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it was, it was a, a real concern of mine um, because uh, the first two churches that I served were both revitalization works as well. And, um, and the first one went very well. Um, and, you know, I, I, maybe another time I'll tell you the, the cool stories about, how that went. Um, obviously the second one didn't end the way that I hoped it would. Um, can't say it didn't go well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of nor regretful of the ministry that I had to the people while I was there. Um, I think that I was their pastor for that season of time, but in the long term, you know, when you're now, when your analysis of your ministry is, did I move the church toward greater health in their faith and, and deeper trust in Jesus? And you have a church that's closed, and that feels, mm. some in, in a lot of ways, like a like a one in the in the not in the win column. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and it's right. hard to it's hard to not think about things as wins and losses, which we often do in the church. But anyway, right. um, so I was I was kind of worried about taking a third revitalization church and talking to some of my closest friends at General Assembly last year in 2017. Was talking to them about this, and I said. I'm, I'm afraid that if I do another revitalization church, that it'll be my last. 
that I just don't have it in me to see another one through that difficult, hard time and then still bounce back and go back into another church. Right. And one of my closest friends said, well, I'm going to pray that if that, if God calls you that it'll be your last because it goes so well. <laughs> that's and that's such a, <laughs> such a pastoral prayer. That's it? wonderful. Um, so, um, so he's been praying that for me. He told me just recently that he continues to pray that for me and that support it, it buoys my, my spirit. Man. Oh man. Um, Wow. So, you know, you know, just, I mean, just hearing the, you know, how all of the, uh, the PTSD, the, the health diagnosis, um, I mean, it, it's just affected you in so many different ways, spiritually, physically, relationally, yeah. um, in all these different areas. So what then, I mean, how, you know, how are you, how are you getting your identity back? What does that look like? And it sounds like you've got more confidence now. Uh, you've, you know, you talked about community, uh, the, the elder yeah. in the church and then this pastor friend coming alongside you. And what are the ways are you, um, beginning to regain some confidence? Yeah, I, I, I am. Um, and I think it's, it's, I think it's making me a better pastor. I think it's making me a better person. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm seeing that more. I have more eyes to see that again because, um, in part, at least, because of the wisdom of a great counselor. Um, you know, when I first began to wrestle with him about the, the sense of identity crisis, and, and we were talking specifically about how my disease has affected me. Mm. Um, you know, and he and and he said, so what I hear you saying is that you're used to being strong and confident and able and, you know, one that others can rely on and depend on. Um, <laughs> but now you're feeling weaker and unable and and dependent. He said, and the good news for us is that Christ wants us to come to him weak and and independent and and needy oh. and he said so so jesus is is putting you in a place where you can where you can learn that you know i mean in such a palpable way and oh. and that is true that and that that's that is making me in into someone who has to turn to others and i mean my my children are learning what dependents look like because wow. I, I do most of the cooking in our house, but I can't reach the stuff that's in the low cabinets. And so they will come in and help me Ugh. just in a moment's notice. Or if they, if they see me drop something on the floor, they know I can't bend down to pick that up. And so they'll jump up from where they are and come and pick that up for me. And so they're learning service to others because they're seeing that their father, who is still big enough to carry them to their beds <laughs> is dependent on them too. Gosh. And um, you know, and that's, that's powerful yeah. to me and to them. And so I'm learning more about dependence and I'm learning more about being weak and, and Christ being strong. And, uh, and that's, that's making me a better pastor. I think it's making me a better man. Oh, that's excellent. So good. What, what great mercy from him to you. Yeah. And to others, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's affecting your family, affecting your congregation. I'm sure it's changed your, your preaching and your ability to, to be able to speak yeah. and have empathy. And wow. It has. Well, you know, and the, and it, 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 I think it, it gives me better leadership too. I mean, 
in our congregation, then we kneel during the confession of sin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they know that I struggle physically and they watch me kneel every, every Sunday. And, you know, I feel like if I can kneel, then most of them can kneel too. And there's a, there's a sense of, uh, it's so important for us to get in, in, uh, into a posture of prayer that way. And I don't know if they're thinking about it so actively, but maybe even just uh, subconsciously, then it's sinking into them that, you know, they, they watch me struggle to get back up, but they nevertheless see me kneeling because we, we need to get on our knees before the Lord in, in our confession. And uh, so, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's helping me lead them better. I think it's helping me serve them more. Um, and, and it's certainly showing them that, look, we don't have to have it all together <laughs> right, to be, right. uh, you know, to be a part of God's people, not even to be used by God uh, for his leadership. So, right. um, you know, so that I, th- I think that those are some, some vital things that they are, are seeing in me. Right. I hope. Right. So what advice, you know, the last question here, but what advice, um, because not everybody's a pastor, uh, not everybody um, right, ha- has right. the same scenario and, but we want to be able to be a help to people. What advice would you give somebody um, in similar struggles? Yeah, great question. I, because, you know, I would imagine that it may be even harder uh, to to sort of suss this stuff out when your, you know, your, your job circumstances maybe haven't changed, but you've still gone through trauma. Or maybe it's been through family. Uh, things, or maybe it's been, um, you know, something happened in your neighborhood or your community, but you're, you're still going uh, day to day to the same job. And just the daily grind doesn't give you the time to reflect and, um, and, and consider how those things might've affected you. And I mean, I I think that when, when people are, uh, are wrestling with things feel like they've changed in their lives, whether it's um, they, they suddenly have more difficulty sleeping and they can't understand why, or their motivation is just, has just been sapped from them. Mm. Um, or they, uh, you know, they, they, they can't seem to, to feel um, any encouragement um, to talk to people about that. Talk to, uh, talk to fellow Christians about that. Talk to your pastors or, or fellow elders about that, right? Um, and take comfort in the fact that you're not alone. You know that almost certainly there's other people in the pews with you that are feeling some of the same things. Right. A, a good a good counselor is vital. Mm. Um, I think to healing um, any of any of these kinds of things uh, in in a in an enduring sort of way. Um, talking to talking to fellow Christians, having close brothers and sisters, um, even, even pastors can be kind of temporarily healing and helpful. And we need the body to be for us the support that we need. But, um, but just like I wouldn't, uh, turn to my neighbor about this pressing knee problem that I have and say, so what do you think? Can you wrap me a little bit today and we'll get through it. And then tomorrow I need you to come over and wrap it again, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that'd be kind of ridiculous, right? We, I mean, we would, if if my knee problem kept going on, I would see a specialist eventually, right? Right, right. And if my if my emotional problems keep going on, I need to see a specialist, right? And um, and so, 
Um, so, you know, getting a counselor is, is huge. Um, finding a good one in your area. Um, pastors should be able to recommend that. Um, and, um, and then learning to be honest and vulnerable with others is so hard. Mm. Um, it, it, uh, it's risky. Yeah. Um, it's, it's terrifying because you don't know how they're going to receive it. Mm. Uh, you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know whether they're going to be willing to be vulnerable in turn mm. or whether they're going to, um, kind of harden their hearts toward it or, or whatever. Um, but that kind of risk is so valuable too for the church. Right. Uh, and one of the things that I'm learning and, and trying to encourage my congregation to learn too, is that healthiness in the church looks like being a safe place for people to be vulnerable right. about where they are emotionally and, and psychologically. Um, you know, it, it, the church needs to be the place where, uh, no one should feel ashamed of um, of what they're wrestling with. Right, right. Um, you know, I had so. a I had a lady one time um, who's um, in a small group, and she was wrestling because they were just the small group wasn't going very deep. And I encouraged her to uh, step out and and be vulnerable. <laughs> she was yeah. she was one of the older ones in the in the small group, and she did that and came back and and just said, Corey, it was. It was horrible. I, I was vulnerable, and there were crickets. <laughs> but, oh, no. Well, but over time, she realized, you know, people people hear somebody be vulnerable, and what we may see as they don't care or, oops, I stepped over the line or whatever, they're processing. And ev- right. eventually, that group became more vulnerable. But it took somebody yeah. to step out and lead the way into that and it was a it was a beautiful thing in the end that's great yeah i think that's right it, it takes time for people to get get their get their heads in the place where they can understand the safety of it you know it, it, it you ha- i think in a lot of cases you have to watch it happen for somebody else a couple of times right. before you can trust that Okay, it might, maybe it'll be safe for me too. Right. right. Um, and uh, and that means you know that we can you know we we can be in those situations where we maybe we kind of joke about vulnerability and and we oughtn't because it could be that that was the time when somebody was watching and saying you know if this time it goes well then I'll, I'll next time I'll open up mm. and then they hear somebody make a quip or or a snide remark or whatever and. And then that, that just shuts them down. Right, you know? right. Um, so, you know, it's one of those, I think emotional health is one of those things that when people talk about it, then it needs to be taken seriously, uh, regardless of how in-depth or, uh, or, or, or casually they address it. Right. Um, because if, if we don't, then we, it's not just affecting them. It's also affecting everybody else that's around them that's watching and hearing how. Mm. Uh, how how that goes for them mm, good words good words well ed thank thank you for being vulnerable um it's been incredibly helpful to me to hear um not only your struggle but how you've struggled with it and what the lord's been teaching you in it um his grace um coming to you in, in so many different in so many different ways and i'm really encouraged by that and and uh, i i appreciate it very much 
Man, you're welcome. It's good talking to you, Corey, and uh, I'll look forward to connecting with you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fish Food. Two things to remember if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. Also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Simply go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support. That will take you to a link so that you can become a patron. And again, thank you for the support.